0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow.
1: Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm Laura Zarrow, Senior Director of Wharton People Analytics and your host for today's show on career change and how we can actually build sustainable careers that make the most of who we are while making us happy. I know it's a tall order, but if there's anyone who can get us there, it's today's guest. Jenny Blake is a career and business strategist and the author of the just released book, Pivot The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One. Um, Jenny reveals how to think about career transitions not as terrifying leaps of faith, but as a series of small, methodical, and dare I say, rather entrepreneurial steps. She's an amazing source of sage advice. She's a compassionate and amazingly perceptive listener and a truly inventive problem solver. If you'd like to talk with Jenny about your desire to make change in your career, your questions about how to do it and survive it, give us a call. We'd really love to hear from you and see how we can help you out. You can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And you can join in our conversation about how to get unstuck, take smart risks, and navigate uncertainty. We'd love to hear your story and help you write your next chapter. Meanwhile, while you call in at one 844 Wharton. that's 1-844-942-7866, we're going to get started with today's guest. Jenny Blake, who wrote Pivot, the only move that matters is your next one, did the unimaginable. And she left her job in career development at Google in 2011 after five and a half years at the company to launch her first book, Life After College. Ever since, she's run her own thriving consulting business with no regrets. We first met her when she joined us in New Orleans at Entrepreneurship Week, and I couldn't be more thrilled to say, Jenny, hello, and welcome back to Women at Work.
2: Laura, it is an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, you're welcome. And congratulations on the new book. I just finished it. And I feel like I waited my whole life for you to write this. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So I'm excited to unpack it with you. I have a bunch of different questions. So do you mind if we dive right in? Let's do it. So in the book, you take something that we often think about, career change. And you sort out how we respond to crisis from how we think proactively. Could you talk to us a little bit about the differences in
2: those two things and why we need to keep them separate? Sure. There are no doubt times in life that are crises, death, disease, divorce, even getting fired can be extremely shocking and traumatic. And Yet there are other times where we have more hit a career plateau or we have a sense of dissatisfaction. Sometimes it's worse. Our anxiety is growing or we're experiencing physical signs that it's time to make a change, like getting headaches more often. <laughs> right. or I had a friend who would get panic attacks on her way off the subway on her way to work. And what I noticed was that our language and our culture, we kept calling this either a midlife crisis or in 2007 invented the term quarter life crisis. But to continue calling career change a crisis, just because we're wondering what's next, doesn't do anybody a service. It tends to put a lot of shame and blame on people. They feel like I did crazy. And because of our the innovation that's happening in our economy and the acceleration because of automation, outsourcing, globalization, even social media, we're all being asked to ask and answer this question, what's next, every few years. So my goal in studying this and writing this book is let's stop calling it a crisis and call it what it is. And pivot is gender neutral. It's judgment neutral. And that oftentimes in our career, when we hit pivot points, they're a product of our success. And that's very different than just labeling it a crisis, like there's something wrong with you because you're ready to make a change. <laughs> right. And
1: it also seems like if we can frame um, the way we think about changes in our career, and here, and, and you describe and you do an excellent job in the book of helping us figure out how to assess where we are in our careers, and is it time to make a pivot, um, that we can actually prevent crisis.
2: Absolutely, that when we get better at having, because pivot is a mindset about uh, being a kind of high net growth is the term I use in the book, and it's a method. And when we get better at pivoting and a big part of that is doubling down on our strengths and running small experiments, when we get better at that as a skill set and a process, then the pivot points become less sharp. They don't blindside us the way that if we aren't proactively experimenting and scanning and looking at our strengths and how we can do more of that, then that's when we tend to hit these major pivot points that shock us and seem to come out of nowhere.
1: Absolutely. So the, the word choice of pivot is not unintentional. And in the book you did, there's a marvelous um, analogy with basketball. Could you explain it a little bit for our listeners?
2: Sure. Well, one thing was, I, my first question was, how can people be as agile as startups? You know, we hear about all these Silicon Valley companies that pivot to save the business. But often, the way pivot is used in a business context is plan B. The initial direction failed, so now the company has to pivot to stay alive. But in our personal lives and career, pivot is more of a proactive forward-looking process. So for me, and by the way, you mentioned that I quit Google in 2011. Well, two years into running my own business, once again, I wondered what's next. And this time, I didn't have a steady paycheck funding that exploration. As my bank account started to dwindle down to zero, I realized I wasn't going to be able to pay rent in two weeks. And at that point, I had to better understand how to navigate this question, what's next? I had no choice. Otherwise, I would have to fold my business and move out of New York, neither of which I wanted to do. And right there, framing,
1: it, this is a really good example of where framing is important because you were hitting a point that others might define as a crisis. Yes. And y- your anxiety was certainly triggered, but not to the point of feeling like a victim.
2: Well, I have to say that in that moment I did because – that. And this is what has sparked the book, because in that moment, it did feel like a crisis. And that was the only language I had for it. And I felt like, what's wrong with me? How did I get here? Am I a failure? Am I delusional? Is the jig up to think that I could have been capable at running my own business? And I, I, I went down the whole shame spiral around the crisis-type language. And then that's when the basketball player, so in my (laughs) fierceness of, you know what, if I have two weeks to figure this out, I'm a grown adult, there's got to be a way. And I just became determined. And so I thought about the basketball player. And when they stop dribbling, they ground down with their plant foot. And that foot stays grounded and planted and is a source of stability while they scan for options with their pivot foot. So in the context of my business and in all of our careers our plant foot is our existing assets. These are our strengths, our interests, what we are good at, what we already know, who we already know, and what success looks like. And these known variables give us a source of stability and I had been ignoring mine. I was so focused on what wasn't working, what I didn't want, and what I didn't have that that didn't propel the conversation forward. So it wasn't until I went back and I looked at, well, what is working? Even if it's only 15%, I right. started to go back and take smaller steps from a base of my strengths. Things started to turn around. And by the end of that year, I ended up tripling my income by following this process.
1: It The methodical way you lay it out, Um, really makes it clear as you're reading it how something like that could happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But this critical first moment is not unimportant. You articulate something that we've talked about a lot on the show before as imposter syndrome, Um, something that women are particularly plagued by. But I think at moments of risk, lots of people can have those kinds of doubts. But you went through a mental process that enabled you to reframe it so you could move forward and be proactive.
2: What I love about pivot and the pivot conversation is that all of us everybody listening has already pivoted in life and I actually find it quite fascinating this is my new favorite cocktail party question (laughs) which is what were you doing previously and how did you make that switch because everyone listening can look back and reverse engineer your previous pivots and when you do that when you apply it to your own life you can see that oh, thing A had this in common with thing B. And what was that piece that you leveraged? Think about the pole vaulter who uses the pole to get over the high bar. With every career change that we've made in the past, you can see what that point of leverage was, whether it was a mentor or a skill set that you brought. And so one thing that I didn't give myself enough credit for, and you mentioned imposter syndrome, was the strengths I already had. Mm -hmm. And So for everybody listening, you're not starting from scratch. And that's why I like the term pivot, because it implies shifting from an existing base. It's not a 180. It's not some reckless leap of faith.
1: Yeah, you're not unstable while you're doing it. Yeah,
2: and it's not this huge blind risk like quit your job tomorrow. You know, if I said that, it would probably send just about everybody into – they're panic-zoned. Right, but you
1: also concerted. never say that in the book, and that's part of right. what I think is so useful about it. Um, actually, I, when I stepped back from the book after I read it and was raving about it, and I already have a list of people who are going to lend it to each other, um, it, I realized it's a whole framework for making decisions, lots and lots yes. of decisions that you make, hopefully in a sequence, that can lead you to build upon them and point yourself in the direction that you want to go.
2: Uh, that's that 's exactly it, and a lot of times one thing that I was noticing in myself and others is that we on the old career ladder paradigm, it was about these linear ascension mm-hmm. and big leaps up one rung to the next, and it had to be very calculated and You have nailed it it is about these smaller decisions because now it 's more about small experiments and small steps because career change often seems to threaten our most fundamental needs on Maslow's hierarchy. It makes sense that we're scared to make a change because we worry that if we make the wrong move, we won't be able to provide for ourselves and, in some cases, our families, it, if you're the primary breadwinner.
1: It's true. It's fundamental. But we also have other identity issues and self-worth issues tied up in it. One of the things that reading this did for me, which was a real surprise, was aside from the ways it think, it helps you think about the future, it helped me look back and look at a ca- career experiences that I've had that I defined one way or explained one way, and I saw them in a whole new light.
2: That's fascinating. Can you share one, one of those that got reframed?
1: Yes, and it was actually how I started doing Women at Work. And that oh. I had um, I was working in the innovation group, and I had learned to do a needs analysis, and I conducted one with Wharton's alumni. And it was in that process that I started to become aware of unique experiences that women were having that I actually had thought had been resolved. Mm. And it was clear that it hadn't been and that there was an urgency for a whole kind of conversation that was coming up. And my work on um, this exploration became... What you referred to as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. It was this project I was doing on the side um, because I thought it was important. I thought it was interesting. I wasn't making a big deal out of it in terms of priority in my career. Yet at the same time, it's the thing that um, actually spawned the radio show. Wow. And it was by getting people's attention onto those topics, because I shared it internally at Wharton, that the leadership at Wharton said, we need to do a show on this, and Laura, would you do it?
2: Isn't that fascinating? I love how it's so powerful to start with something, even where you don't know where it's going to take you and where it's going to end up. And I know we talked a little offline, too, that just the learning the skill of interviewing or doing a radio show. It's not like you went to college no. and learned to be a radio person. You know?
1: No, but – and it was where I was hugely relieved – and i um, kind of comforted to see that a lot of the things that you recommended were things that I was lucky enough to have mm-hmm. fall into my life or naturally gravitate towards um, that I could talk to people about how did they do it what could I learn from them um, my producer Patty, who coached me along the way early experiments and how we wanted to approach things and so that I and also a recognition that we're not going to learn how to do this overnight right and you you explained all of that in a way that made it all seem clear to me and made me excited about when are the next times that those things become possible.
2: Mm, that's so. It's so cool to hear you say that, and I've I've heard similar reactions that when people pivot, sometimes they have that feeling where you say, "Oh, I feel like my whole life and career has been preparing me for this." Mm-hmm. That in the moment we sort of and Steve Jobs said this in his 2005 commencement speech that we are able to connect those dots looking backward, and and it's one of the things I love about the small experiment mindset, which is that. Experiments take on an energy of their own and a momentum of their own. So while women at work started as this side hustle or side project, as it gains momentum and traction, and you start to understand, I really enjoy this, and I'm getting better at it. And we, with you and Patty, are collaborating and improving it bit by bit over time. That now that's where we are today, and it's this amazing show that you have so many wonderful listeners, and it's just so exciting to see where it builds organically.
1: Yes, and also going back to something you talked about as a driving force in your own life, how do we how do we impact other people's lives in a beneficial way and as many people as possible? And by the way, to that end, I'd like to invite, if you're listening and you would like Jenny's help in figuring out how you're going to start your next pivot, um, are you contemplating a career move? Are you wondering how to navigate it? Give us a call. We really would love to hear from you. You can reach us at 1-844-WARTON. That's one 844 942 So, Jenny, I want to talk about some of the structure of the book for a minute, because I thought it was really brilliant in how you laid it out. You've got clear stages of planting, scanning, piloting, launching, and leading. Could you talk a little bit about um, why these stages are so important and so distinct from one another?
2: Sure. So the first three, plant, scan, pilot, are really a cycle, and they can be repeated as many times as necessary as a general process and habit in our lives. And if we go back to the basketball player analogy, so plant, again, is about your strengths, your values, and what success looks like a year from now. And so that brackets the pivot. Now you know where you are now, where you wanna end up. Scanning is for people, skills, and projects that are compelling and that are based on your strengths. So you're not a lot of go-getters, a lot of people I speak with, they, they think to themselves, I'm at a pivot point, what's out there? And they immediately go to scanning. They skip right over plant altogether. And that's where it can feel like they're scanning without a plan and just that tireless, let's say if someone's job searching, I'm looking at 100 job sites a day, I'm sending 100 resumes, nothing is working. That's usually when they've gone straight to scanning without Mm -hmm. planting first. And then the third stage is piloting. That's small experiments to test the three E's. One, do I enjoy this new area? Two, can I become an expert at it and do I want to? And three is there room to expand. So what's interesting, if we look at women at work, you immediately could say, do I enjoy this? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I'm fascinated. Right. And then, and then can I become an expert at it? you know you can learn from patty and like you said you just over time you get practice and you get better and then there's a room to expand and you've clearly done that so it's cool that that using that framework that can help us test which of our pilots deserve more attention and then which ones don't resonate or don't click and we can let go of
1: the person i'd like to i'd actually like to interrupt for a second because there's somebody i'd like to give some attention to and it's michelle who's calling from austin texas michelle thank you so much for joining us here on women at work what's on your mind today
0: Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, So I've actually always worked in corporate America in the medical industry and molecular diagnostics or some type of medical sales or pharmaceutical. And um, I feel like I'm at that pivot point right now because um, I've always known that I wanted to be an entrepreneur or launch my own business. Um, and do something on my own, and I, I finally have the epiphany of, I've had a lot of ideas, but none of them have ever seen, like, the right idea, and I finally have the right idea, and I'm kind of at that point, but it is completely different than anything I've ever done, be it launching my own business and doing it all on my own, and just kind of, um, you know, nervous to take the leap, but I know it's the right thing to do, so everything that you guys are talking about are really resonating with me, but just wanted to see if you guys had any um just general advice or, um, you know, anything that you guys
2: would be able to advise me on would be
1: wonderful. Jenny, this sounds like it's right up your alley. All
2: right. Well, first, <laughs> I'm really excited for you. It's amazing just to hear you say, I know this is the right move. You're already 75% of the way there. That your gut and your whole body, you know this is the right for you. I do. That's, that's amazing. So give yourself credit for that, just that you're already... A long way toward making this happen. And then I would just ask you, so like you said, this is a bigger pivot. It's a bigger transition. What does success look like? So describe for us briefly, a year from now, if you make this transition with flying colors, what is happening in your life and business?
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, the the business is taking off its thriving. I'm able to probably pay myself, you know, approximately the same salary plus bonus I have now, and potentially, you know, a, a couple employees and um, helping me out. So I think, I guess in a year's time, that would be after the launch of the business. That's probably what I would see as, you know, the success or initial success.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So earning equal or greater than what you have now, what else?
0: Hmm. Um, that, you know, what I'm doing become uh of a household name, that it's brand recognition.
2: Mm-hmm. What else? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that I'm happy that I know I can mm-hmm. look back and say that this is the right move.
2: Yeah. I love it. So earning a great living, brand recognition, you feel happy and that this is the right move. Absolutely. Awesome. And so from where you are now to getting to that point a year from now, do you feel like there's a gap? I mean, you know, we could go – sometimes in coaching there's a fork in the road. So, for example, if you were, had concerns about finances or getting there, you know, we could go down that route, or if you felt pretty clear. I mean, it's really now just defining this gap between where you are right now and what would help you make this transition with full confidence, which I think you're pretty close already.
0: Yep. I think, um, I, think I might need to – to a business owner or someone that's doing a similar type of business or working in the same space that would be willing to mentor me or something like that because um, such as the, like, the segment of the market that I'm looking at, I think it would be nice if I could find someone that would be willing to advise me. I just don't know where I'd go for that.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a great scanning step of finding someone. So it sounds like that's one great piece of homework is doing some research and finding people who are doing a similar type of business to you and reaching out and connecting with them. Absolutely.
1: And I have to say, Michelle, in the book, Jenny gives really great advice about how to do that outreach in a way that feels graceful and comfortable and will also be effective.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Laura. (laughs) Yeah, and I I would say, too, on the financial side, you can have some fun number crunching, and I have a bunch of templates for this on my website. It's just pivotmethod.com. But what you want to do is say, okay, and I always ask people with finances, have three numbers, the minimum needed to pay the rent, because you're going out on your own, it's a big deal. Minimum needed, nice to have, and jump out of bed with glee. And that will give your brain, instead of a lot of people just focus on the minimum needed, let me, let me pay the rent, please, you know, but they don't go farther. So for you, once you have your nice to have annual income, whatever would be equal than or even greater than your current salary, then you want to break it down. Okay, what do I need to earn each month? And then I would ask, my favorite question for when you're getting going on your your own business is, how can I best optimize for revenue and joy? And for me, that means I like, you know, for me, fewer clients that that lead to greater income so that I don't have so much pressure to get a hundred new clients every month. What are my core clients? And also how can you generate steady recurring cash flow? So whether you have big bets in your business for big clients you're trying to land, what are some mid tier services that can provide what I call in the book a cash flow cow? So and depending on how much you have in savings, that defines your pivot runway of how long you have until you have to start earning anything at all. And so by starting to diversify steady recurring income, some of your bigger bets, some of your safer plays, and all based on your strengths of what you've already developed and who you already know in this great career you've already had to date, that can then help you start piloting different approaches to business generation, whether it's experimenting with how, you you know, what packages you offer, who you reach out to. And so just see everything as an experiment. And I I like to think of pilots as racehorses at the starting gate of the Kentucky Derby, especially in business. We don't always know which one is going to take off, but by lining up some pilots and staying anchored in your strengths and your one-year vision and what you learn from these other business owners you connect with, then you can kind of see which one pulls out ahead to invest more into it. Michelle, is that helpful?
0: It is very helpful. I just thought of uh, two more things, if you guys are still available.
1: Oh, sure. Well, yeah, go ahead.
0: Um, I just uh, two things that I was thinking about. Um, one is uh, it's kind of a unique situation because I've been sort of waiting to launch my own business until my husband finished his Ph.D. And he's officially done with it. He's working. We have dual income. So it's really nice because it allows me a little bit more of, I don't know, what you want to call it, the runway that you were speaking of, savings runway. Because we do have, you know, him as an earner in the household as opposed to being, you know, in graduate school. So um, all of that being said, I'm trying to decide if I should self-fund or if I should go out and try to get an investor or take out a business loan. And um, that's kind of one of the things that's been, I guess, prohibited me from moving forward because I'm a little bit uncertain of the benefits of doing it on my own versus going with someone else or, you know, a
2: What does your gut say?
0: So my gut initially said to self-fund because no matter where I get the money, I'm going to have to pay it back. And, you know, I don't really have to pay myself back. Um, And I wouldn't have to give anyone equity in the company and I would get it all on my own. But as I'm looking at, for instance, I'm working with a couple of web designers to build out my website. And to do it right, I can go a less expensive route see if the business grows, and then build the website out to be more, which would cost more down the road. Or initially, I could build the website out right the first time and not have to make a big investment down the road. As I think about that, and I think about making, you know, when I got the quote back and writing out a check for that much, kind of gave me a little, oh, maybe I should see if someone's interested in investing in this.
2: Mm -hmm. I think everything's worth exploring. I, you strike me as someone that has pretty strong instincts, like just you're pretty clear on your moves. If your gut is saying self-fund, that would be my leaning as well. I talk in the book about this mindset we used to have at Google. It was launch and iterate and get scrappy, be scrappy. Let me just say, and this isn't, this isn't in my book because it happened since. I was getting ready for my book to launch it, this September, yesterday, and I spent 10 grand on revamping my websites and I thought I got to get them ready for the book launch $10,000 I spent five months when I got the sites delivered they were and now granted my sites have been around 10 years they're like rickety old mansions but essentially I had so many problems because of the complexity and working with the developer she stopped speaking to me that two weeks later after having paid that money which I didn't have work was slow leading up to the book launch because I was in between big things. I rebuilt the sites myself in three days. I literally <laughs> lit 10 grand on fire, if not more, in five months of my time. I overinvested. And so all I can say is specifically on the subject of websites, start scrappy. There's really no Absolutely. reason not to. Squarespace is beautiful. And I'd say that's something you can easily improve over time.
1: Um, on that note... Jenny, we're going to take a pause for a moment. Michelle, thank you so much for calling.
2: Thank you, Michelle. I
1: appreciate your courage. Good luck with everything you're doing. When we get back from our break, we're going to talk more about this entrepreneurial mindset of iteration, um, how to stay scrappy, and how you can actually do this within your own firm with Jenny Blake, author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters, is your next one. I'm Laura Zauer at Women at Work. Give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON, and we'll be back in a moment.
0: You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Laura Zaro.
1: Welcome back to Women at Work and today's conversation about career change and how we can build sustainable careers that make the most of who we are while making us happy, um, my guest today is Jenny Blake. She's a career and business strategist and the author of the fabulous, just released book, Pivot. The only move that matters is your next one. Um, we've been taking calls, and if you'd like to join in and get Jenny's incredible advice, give us a just dial us up one. Eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And you can ask Jenny how you can approach your next your next pivot. Um, and so, Jenny, welcome back to Women at Work.
2: Thank you so much,
1: Laura. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Before the break, um, when we were talking with Michelle, um, she was tapping into, I'm happy to say a lot of things that are in your book, but in particular, um, and you told this wonderful story of your own website (laughs) and when you should stay scrappy. And by the way, happy to talk with you about that offline, because that's one of the places maybe I can help you, um, is talk to us a little bit more about this idea of Um, the iterative process and piloting. How you build up and build out without getting overcomplicated too soon.
2: Well, I love that Michelle brought up the website example because I even share that as an example in the book because I work with so many new entrepreneurs or solopreneurs who the website is their first big expense that they're considering. Should I put down 10 or 15 grand on a full brand strategy and a full-blown custom website? And it's often not necessary and whether it's the website or anything else that we're looking at as some big investment up front that we're not sure if it's going to pay off we don't know for sure doing something like a website is not a direct revenue generating activity and so it's much I I really believe in starting scrappy and that means that Yes, if you use a pre-built template, and I know we're going down the website rabbit (laughs) hole a little bit, but I just share this to say you can start a lot smaller than you think. Yes. Because often it's, it's not just about the website. It's about the pressure we put on ourselves to get things right, right out of the gate, or be perfect, or somehow go from zero to 60 overnight, whether you're starting your own business, or you're trying to make a new career move after actually when a lot of coaching clients come to me one of them was a senior level director in engineering at google with a uh, our family at home this person was the primary breadwinner and he'd been working at google 10 years and he said i it's time for me to make a change i usually ask first is there anything else you can do within the company mm-hmm. so i'm not the one saying go ahead and Quit overnight I'll have to <laughs> right. say, can you look for something? Can you invent your own job role within the company? Can you pivot internally or go so sideways in in doing that it's almost like a pivot within a pivot, and that by running pilots and, and building incrementally we It's almost like parallel parking, that you just make so many little changes that ultimately you get there, but you do it in such a way that you learn and get new information at every step.
1: Absolutely. There's actually a lot in what you just said, so I want to kind of list them so we can come back to them. Um, So one is this issue that I want to come back to in a moment of um, the different ways that you can pivot your career. Some of it is by being truly entrepreneurial and starting your own business, but there are other ways that you can pivot within your organization. But either way, um, there's a a practice that and you write about it very articulately. It's a deep part of Silicon Valley and startup culture is the idea of the minimal viable product and why you build an MVP and how you approach it and what the benefits are of doing it. Could you talk to us a little
2: bit about that? Sure. Eric Reese, who wrote The Lean Startup, popularized the concept of the MVP, the minimum viable product, as you said. And he talks about that that allows us to look at the build, measure, learn feedback loop. So he has his own process that he shares around MVPs. So you build it, you measure, and you learn. And then that informs the next round. So for example, again, trying to do something cold, trying to get it all going right away, there's not as much opportunity to measure and learn. Exactly. And so we don't, we're not psychic. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and actually, this should be a relief. We're not psychic and we don't have to be. Even now, I'm launching this book. It's a major pivot point for me. It's been three years of working on it. And I said last night at an event, I don't know what's next, but the thing I've learned from working on this book is that's okay. And so instead of me feeling like, oh, I got to have not just the minimum viable product, I have the most impeccable guaranteed ironclad success product. None of us can time the markets or our companies or if we work within a broader company, what's going to go on. So instead, by diversifying our experiment streams, if not Mm -hmm. our income streams, then we have more wiggle room and we have more options for which of those we really want to double down on when it starts taking off.
1: Right. And it also becomes a learning process. Um, it lets us learn from and reframe failure by having the iterations that we can see, does this idea work? What did work? What didn't work? How do I make it better? How do I build it? And that when you go through that process, whether you are designing a product or a website or or shaping your own career or organization. Um, you not only learn from the mistakes that you make and the things that you try, but you get new inputs along the way. And so you could actually over design prematurely because you haven't made room for what you're going to learn.
2: Exactly. Yes. And that there's so much data that we get at every step. And when we put a lot of times, you know. So for anyone listening to this call, I love how clear Michelle was. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's amazing that she said, I'm doing this, and I know it's the right thing. A lot of people feel uh, a a step back from that, that I'm vaguely unsatisfied, but I can't tell if it's me. Is is it – is the grass just – always greener on the other side. Should I just sit down and stay put or do I need to make a move? And I'm nervous about that. And they're at this point of indecision. And so what happens when you try and put too much pressure to have the perfect product or the perfect next move instead of the minimum viable is that we, we feel paralyzed, mm-hmm. nothing happens. And so for what you're saying, Laura is break it down. What I'm saying too, is break it down. Yes. If you Yes. Chunk it out. Such uncertainty and, and feeling kind of paralyzed. What are just some tiny things you can do? What's one next step you can take in the next week? Even if listening to this, tonight's show, has sparked something for you, what's one thing you might want to research? One new podcast you could listen to? One book you can buy in an area that interests you? And actually, I encourage you to go sideways. We think career it's all about what we do with our day job. but oftentimes it's these weird little side interests you know or a thread that we've had since we were kids that comes back around in such a magical way that you would never see coming but it's worth investing an hour a week in it does not have to be your full-time job right from the get-go
1: Because one of the points is to find something that you're curious about, that you want to learn more about, that you want to invest your time in, Um, not just as something where there's a market, but something that's going to speak to you enough that you want to really invest your time and yourself in this.
2: Yes, and and also following the threads of, I feel like sometimes people, myself included, we fear. Well, that's is that kind of a tangent off of my main thing. How I don't I don't see how that's going to connect, <laughs> and or these skills, these weird. We think we have oh such a, but it's the weirdness. It's the unique skills that we have, the kind of freakish ways we're able to be helpful to people that end up being our biggest strengths, our uh, superpowers in waiting. My and whole so, career
1: has been shaped yeah. by those weird moments. Has but, it really? Yes, but more on more on oh, me cool. later. In the meantime, I'd like <laughs> to say so <laughs> if you'd like to give us a call and talk to Jenny about what are your weird things that you want to figure out how to maximize, you can reach us at one 844 Wharton That's 1-844-942-7866. And if you happen to be listening on your headphones at your computer at work and you want to do this quietly, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusX. Com. So, Jenny, one of the things that keeps coming up um, that you do a beautiful job of in the book is talking about how you actually um, pivot within your company, within an organization or within your field. And and that's where my th- weird things were. Um, I was an associate provost at the University of the Arts and I was trying to figure out how to bring technology into um, a classroom. And it we wound up creating, really bringing the whole digital revolution to the school, starting a wow. one-to-one pilot. And it's what got me on the road to innovation, um, and which I never would have guessed. And you couldn't have planned that. But um, it also showed me that you could stay within an organization over a number of years and grow in all kinds of ways. And um, you talk about it beautifully, but could you outline for us some ways that you can um, be methodical in how you think about it and what you can do to prompt it?
2: Yes, and I I love that example you just shared. And there's a misconception that pivoting involves job hopping, or just just moving from one thing to the next willy-nilly. That's not it at all. Pivot is really a framework to understand what's next. And I I talk in the book about diminishing returns and unrealized gains. If you stay for too long past your expiration date somewhere <laughs> and you're not learning and you're bored, okay, diminishing returns. But actually, there's such a thing as leaving too soon. That if if I had left Google when I first hit a plateau from the AdWords product training team, I would have left huge unrealized gains on the table in terms of results that I generated. I created a global coaching program, uh, reputation. There was so much I gained that was not just financial by staying those extra two and a half years. And so one of the most untapped ways to pivot within an organization is getting involved. Just like you described, Laura, of being interested in emerging technology What is something that a pet project, and Google is well known for having 10 and 20% time. It wasn't that every employee had one day a week to screw around. Some companies do that, and I actually go more power to them. This is more like if you had an idea for something that was going to benefit your team or the company, you could get 10% of your week. Like you basically, you didn't have to hide it from your manager to work on this thing. And ultimately it was 110%. They're not taking anything off your plate. You're just adding this new side project. And in doing that, I know someone named Seth, his side project one year was he wanted all Googlers to volunteer during the same week of the year. And he got that idea from Timberland. They had a palooza day. Well, he wanted to do a week. This was a little 10% project. The next year, 20%. The next year it was 20%, but they gave him a team. Eventually, within a couple of years, Seth pitched a full-time role managing Google's volunteer outreach. If he had, So first of all, that role did not exist when he first ran the pilot. And secondly, he wouldn't have had the street cred mm-hmm. if he had five years ago said, I want a full-time role managing Google's volunteer outreach. They would have have never said yes. But because (laughs) he built this program and grew it from 7,000 the first year to 20,000, then they said, yes, there is a need for this. Yes, we do want to carve out a role for you. And so anybody can do that within your companies, And you don't just have to work at a place like Google. It's about mutually beneficial experiments and then proving their value and growing them. And, and I have been so blown away by the kinds of roles people have invented for themselves. And that's the good news about this volatile economy mm-hmm. is that it's also easier than ever before To create new roles for yourself.
1: Well, the woman who's blowing me away is Jenny Blake, and she is the author of the just released book, Pivot, The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One. Um, It's available in stores online now. You can also check her out at um, JennyBlake.me backslash or PivotMethod.com. So, Jenny, in that... Um, story about creating the service day at Google. The other thing that that taps into is what you were talking about before. He created a minimal viable product. He said, how do we start with this to prove the value of the idea, proof of concept, and then built it out from there. He didn't get lost in the big dream or the $10,000 website.
2: Yes, and many would say we're moving into a project based economy. And that's why all that we've we've had this theme of projects come up so prominently even on tonight's show. And mm-hmm. because, you know, one could say, well, how does that apply to my career as a whole? And so the idea and the reason the subtitle of the book, The Only Move That Matters, is your next one, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's also kind of like about staying present. That the world is changing so quickly that By focusing on projects, and there's a lot of pressure. For any of you read personal development books, there's often a question like, what's your life purpose? What's your mission? (laughs) But no pressure, right? Yeah, right. And so some people feel bad about themselves that, oh, no, I don't know what my life purpose is. And it's a really intimidating question. So instead, I talk in the book about project-based purpose. Let's just look at this next year or two of your life and your work and what you're doing and say, what's your goal here? What would you love to get out of this time and this phase? And I use a framework I call give, receive, achieve. And that way it's not just about me, me, me. It's what do I want to give? How do I want to impact the world or my family or my community through this this project that I'm on right now? What do I want to receive? What would feel really good to learn or how can I grow? And what do I want to achieve? What kind of results would I be absolutely thrilled to implement? And Again, and so like Laura described, you can do this and you have a set of projects within a company and then mm-hmm. pivot within your role within the company. Even if you don't even change teams, you could pivot to a different team. You could pivot to a different organization in the business. Then you could pivot to another company. You could then pivot to your, on your own. Sometimes people get pivoted. So they end up starting a consulting practice when they weren't even planning on it. <laughs> right. Because they, so there's so many options for how things play out. There was a
1: critical piece of advice that you gave in the book about how to get the ball rolling on that. And um, it ha- and it's also something we've talked about here on Women at Work is how to ask for what you want, how to be proactive about it, um, how to find the language for it, and how to find the courage for it. Could you talk with us a little bit about this?
2: A lot of people say network. If you want to make a change, it's all about networking. And even the word itself makes people feel dirty. (laughs) I I think of networking as two things. One, building friendships. Laura and I and Patty too, we met in New Orleans and I just had so much fun with them I just thought I've got to know these two <laughs> yes. women. I don't know how we'll keep in touch but please, you know when you get that like let's do this feeling. So that to me is a really exciting look for that when you're thinking about a pivot and look for even if you never speak to someone, maybe there are again, podcasts or books or you can learn from afar. But the other piece is like you said Laura, getting clear on how the friends that you do have can be most helpful. So I have a template on my website. It's called the Network Email Mad Lib. And the way I recommend you do this is three parts and just three short bulleted lists. And you you frame it up by saying, hey, I'm contemplating a career change. Here's a little bit about me, three to five bullets. Here's the type of company I'm looking for, three to five bullets. And here's the type of role, that I'm looking for and that I think I would be the best fit. If you're going into self-employment and you're trying to generate business, once again, you can say, here's a little bit about me, three to five bullets. Here's a little bit about who I'm hoping to work with, my ideal client, three to five bullets. And here's what we'll do together because I work with a lot of coaches nobody really knows what coaching is so if you say to your friends hey i'm looking for coaching clients can you forward this to people you know nobody's going to reach out but if you say i'm doing uh, career change strategy sessions and so if you have a friend that is wondering what's next send them to me and we'll look at their strengths you know and you you really get clear and that's how then it's easy for your network to forward that to people they know to say oh I immediately thought of you and even if they don't think of someone who's a fit right away you've now planted a seed in their mind and so the serendipity lottery tickets grow that you've now <laughs> thrown out yes. into the world or if to use the seed metaphor can start sprouting right and so this
1: is both um, practical advice that it's actionable and it's something you can follow but it's also building on the idea of having a certain amount of courage and you talked beautifully in the book about
2: when does courage really make itself evident <laughs> Oh, gosh, yes. Let me say, you know, it's so easy to, when Laura's interviewing someone, to we sound like an expert. And we <laughs> are. We've studied an area. But I am such an advocate for fear and insecurity and uncertainty. And let me be just the first to say that um, I don't feel courageous before I do things. And I say in the book, build first, courage second. You've got to build, and you just start taking the steps. There's no, there's no courage that, that descends from the heavens first that then we start making steps, I mean, in some cases. But more often what happens is in taking action, we get little courage cookies on the other side. The, universe <laughs> the, the courage a cookies. Carpet. Yeah, little courage cookie. Have you ever had that experience where you take a bold step and you get this little cookie, this little reward on the other side, like it works. Or someone then connects you to someone else. And there's this reward that says, you did it, keep going. And so um, if you are listening to this and you have fear and you have doubt and you have insecurity, you're human. And it means that you're chewing on something big enough for you. And the Studies even show the smartest people rate themselves lowest in terms of IQ, and the people with the lowest IQ rate themselves far higher. So actually, you know, having those doubts and insecurities means that you're a self-aware human being who cares about what you do and you care about meaning and impact and adding value to the world. And so I say no need to banish those things and on the one hand and no need to wait for courage on the other. Just start taking steps and – The next ones after that will make themselves clear.
1: Jenny, uh, I can't thank you enough for what you give to our listeners, the impact you're making on the world, and for making time to spend with me on Women at Work today. It is always so much fun to talk to you.
2: Likewise, thank you. This is a highlight of my week, and huge thanks to everybody for listening.
1: Oh, absolutely. Good luck with everything you're doing, and hopefully, we'll talk to you soon. So, that was Jenny Blake. Jenny is a career and business strategist. She's the author of the just released book, Pivot The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One. If you would like to learn more about what Jenny's doing, she's got an incredible website. So, despite what she said about having launched a new website um, and needing to scrap it and go back to Squarespace, um, Jenny, the real gift gift isn't just the design it's that she has a whole host of really amazing exercises information and links that you can check out so you can go to http colon backslash backslash www.pivotmethod.com backslash also you can go to jennyblake.me backslash and her twitter handle is at Jenny um, underscore Blake, um, you'll see whether it's in the book or online, there are exercises that can take you through every single stage of the process. Um, because while Jenny, I think part of what she's done that's so extraordinary, she imbues this very usable book, almost like a recipe book, but with ideas and ways to frame it for yourself. So, Patty, you've been listening all along, and I have to tell you, I watched you smiling. Um, one of the things that really hit me was Courage Cookies. Yeah, well, and that, um, what did she
3: say? I wrote it down. She uh, is a big fan of fear, insecurity, and uncertainty. <laughs>
1: right, she doesn't, that. Run, she doesn't run away from it.
3: I think... Well, first of all, we knew she was awesome when we met her in New Orleans. Yes. She um, was like a
1: breath of fresh air.
3: So, you know, just all our um, suspicions confirmed by uh, <laughs> today. And the book is wonderful. And can I just say this whole, um, that email Mad Lib thing? Oh, um, yeah. It's I, amazing. I think I'm,
1: I might have to go check that out. Yeah. When I was reading it in the book, it's really amazing because you think how long we would spend trying to write that for ourselves. Mm-hmm like we would get all wrapped up in our own head swirling around with how do I do this gracefully? How do I do this nicely? Oh, I can't say that. And she really lays it out in a way that seems so natural.
3: Mhm. I think I should clarify that I'm I'm not looking to pivot at this at this particular time. <laughs>
1: we like you where you are,
3: Madam. <laughs> I love my job so much. Dan Laura, you make Wednesday special. You do for us,
1: too. Even though one of the things that she talks about, um, it's a beautiful part of the end of the book, which we didn't get a chance to to go into with her, is when you're in the position as a leader. Mm -hmm. You know, and we talk about join, stay, succeed, and lead. How do you help the people on your team pivot? How do you make an environment that's conducive to growth and experimentation? Um, Because really the best bosses are the ones that help you grow and thrive and move on to your next gig.
3: Um, that is true. Um, I strive for that as a boss. Um, I'm working on it. I'm working. I think I need, I need to book a few more leadership guests on Women at Work.
1: Ah. No, but the thing is, look, you at least get to keep listening every day to all of these amazing people and learning from them. And I see the ways that you then cultivate what we do here. And it's a real testimony of what Jenny's saying about constantly learning and growing. Well, yeah, and um,
3: I appreciated what she said about you and I teaching each other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: it's true. Uh, we've come a long way We have from the first few shows. So speaking of coming a long way, I just want to share something. Because when she was talking about courage cookies, you mm-hmm. know, I often come back to this, is marathon training. Because to me, marathon training is like the big metaphor for life. Mm-hmm. Um, in it, when you say you're going to embark on the marathon, like, I'm going to go run 26.2 miles. Well, there is no way in hell I could do that starting right now. But the way that you start training for a marathon is first you run three miles, then you run five, then you run seven, then you drop back to three, maybe four. And just like Jenny maps out this kind of very staged process where you don't jump ahead too soon, you complete the work that comes first, you build capacity, you build strength. And each little part of that journey strengthens you and you get inspired by your own capacity to learn and grow. Baby steps. Exactly. And chunking it out.
3: And chunking it out. I like that. Did you make that
1: up? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have to credit it. It was my running coach. Oh, okay. So when I was starting to grapple with, so I'd made it through, you know, three, five, seven, my long runs were now going up to like 12, 13, 14 miles. And I was getting too big, my attention span for exercise, my confidence and my ability to do it was getting overwhelming. He taught me, break it down. It's really three, four mile runs. It's really three, five mile runs. You know what that is. And so as a way of taking on an overwhelming task, you can really break it down into really bite-sized pieces that you can be present in, fully own, and then process. And as a matter of fact, it's a lot how Jenny's book works. So I strongly recommend Jenny Blake's new book, Pivot, The Only Move That Matters, is your next one. It's a good read. It will help you look back at your own career differently, think about what happens next, and also help the people who are working for you because, after all, we all want to help them succeed. So with that, I'd like to thank Jenny. I'd also like to thank Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Dan Baker, our wonderful callers, and our production assistant, Allie Freed. Our schedule of replays can be found on the SiriusXM website. That's www.siriusxm.com backslash business Next week, we're joined by Denise Restore of Forbes and I can't wait to talk with her about what she's doing for women and girls around the world. So thanks so much for listening to Women at Work on Business Radio. I'm Laura Zarrow here on SiriusXM 111.